0: From KIOS in Omaha, you're listening to Riverside Chats. I'm Maria Corpus, and today I'm talking to artist Charles K. Jr.
1: I mean, the name was Koma tank that was our last name. People couldn't pronounce his name, so it became Mr. K. In 1974, they went and changed their names. As a kid, I mean, I was four years old when that happened. They did it for a lot of reasons. I think the main reason was to assimilate, to be accepted on paper, to visually not look different. In particular, to the banks, to a leasing company, because they were going to start a business. That part was kind of heavy for me to imagine. You know, thinking that we can't be Thai.
0: Kay's parents immigrated from Thailand in 1966 and settled in Omaha, where Kay was born and raised. His experience in an immigrant family inspired his work, Unseen, emerging from the currents of assimilation, which is now on display at Kaneko. Stay tuned for our conversation after this break.
2: We have a lot of hours of content here on Riverside Chats now. Our backlog has over 100 episodes. We're expanding into live events. And we have an exciting future for the show that we hope to be able to get to you. To make the show as good as it can be and to continue to give you the kinds of conversations that you listen for. The reason why you subscribed in the first place. To hear coverage of arts, ideas, politics, whatever it is that brings you here every time, please consider becoming a supporter of the show by making a sustaining monthly donation of $1, $5, whatever you can afford, and really whatever you think the show is worth, which maybe is zero. In which case, ouch, but okay. If you are interested in becoming a supporter, please look in the podcast notes. There should be a link in there that you can find that gives you all the information you need. Otherwise, thank you for considering supporting the show, and more, more importantly, thank you for listening.
0: Welcome to Riverside Chats. I'm Ria Corpuz. Charles Kay Jr. is a first-generation Thai-American visual artist whose work explores assimilation, identity, and the American dream. Kay's parents immigrated from Thailand in the 1960s and anglicized their names to fit in. Much of Kay's work explores the toll of assimilation on his own family and the immigrant experience at large. His exhibition, Unseen, Emerging from the Currents of Assimilation, is on display at Caneco through February 5th, 2023. In this conversation, he shares his experience growing up in America with immigrant parents, the racism he and his family have endured, and his changing relationship with his Asian American identity. Here is my conversation with Charles Charles K. So I wanted to first start off by talking about where the idea started and how it's kind of changed since the origination of the idea.
1: Uh, yes, yeah. so I mean the it started with one image and a conversation with Stefan Grote, the executive director at at a Bemis event uh, last year in October and I just went for it. I said I invited him to the studio, gave him a visual of the works, the deeper portfolio, and talked about. What I wanted to do with visuals, how I wanted someone to enter a space, what could we do? And I didn't have a gallery yet at that point. They didn't know where it would go or how, if it would be accepted, etc. Um, and once it was, that's when I stopped sleeping. <laughs> I, I tell people that all the time because I was like, "Oh boy, yeah, now I've got to do something, and I'm, I this could be my one and only shot. Yes, to go,
0: and it's the best shot." I feel like you really honed in on what the idea was. So was the idea from that image, did you have the theme in mind?
1: The theme, you know, part of it to me was I wanted to create a journey for a viewer. And I wanted it to be something where you move to a foreign place or you just go somewhere in time or back in your heart or your mind to something that you can remember. And for me, that was my story, right? Like, thinking back about my childhood, about what my parents did and the way we created the exhibit so that you get the story, the brief version of the artist statement, but then how the other text is played in, how the other images are placed, you know, towards the end. And then, you know, the the wall, the writing wall as well. So those items, I mean, once we had the space, I, I worked with Uh, Bo Johnson, he's an architect here, moved back from New York, who created the visuals for Kineco to be able to see what we were trying to explain. And they hadn't read my artist statement or gone through anything yet, so they just let me do what I wanted to do. The collaboration was real. Um, My vision was in an infantile state in the beginning, and it really took form as I produced the work and as we installed it.
0: It really is a journey to walk through. it. It does feel like... You're ref- it's, your story helps guide people to confront their own story, which I think is super important. And for anyone, immigrant or not, right. it's it pulls at the heartstrings. It makes you really think about how you show up in this world.
1: Well, I remember meeting you for that first time. You had just literally walked out together and your eyes, both of you, <laughs> were just like. And, and, you know, that made me feel so good because I didn't know. I really didn't know how people would connect you know what part of them would connect and you know your story it's parallel I talked to you about this the other day it's like oh my goodness we all have a story like this and that's part of the thing no Mm -hmm. matter what you have a story here with how your family came to this country so recognizing what our parents your grandparents anyone what they sacrificed where they were and having other people kind of I don't know, have empathy towards that story as well.
0: Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about your story, your immigration story.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, the, the process from, for, for our family was my parents both came from Thailand, not knowing each other. My dad from Bangkok, my mom from Chiang Mai in the mid-1960s. They ended up meeting through the Thai embassy in Washington, D.C., So my dad was asked if he would give a tour to a Thai woman who was staying at the embassy and the zoo was the tour. So he did that. That was it. I don't know. Parents don't tell their kids this gushy love story part. Yes. That started it. They were on their way to Seattle, I believe. From They decided to let's move across country where more people that we would maybe look like us or be Mm -hmm. like us are. But they stopped in Omaha because they knew somebody here. Wow. And they stayed.
0: Oh, they never ended up in Washington? No,
1: because it was more affordable. They could finish their education. They both have, um, you know, my dad was like hours away from his PhD in mathematics. My mom, she was a teacher of mathematics. My dad as well. Um, and then she had like some special training in there also. So she always had opportunities to get jobs here, which was great. They stayed. Um, and the story was I mean the name was Komatank that was our last name, and over time, people couldn't pronounce his name, so it became mr k and in nineteen seventy four they went and changed their names, and I think it hits you at that point, right you get to that ending spot and it and it gets you no spoilers here yeah but,
0: yeah <laughs> um,
1: as a kid, I mean, I was four years old when that happened. They did it for a lot of reasons. I think the main reason was to assimilate, to be accepted on paper, to visually not look different, in particular to the banks, to a leasing company, because they were going to start a business. That part was kind of heavy for me to imagine, you know, thinking that we can't be Thai.
0: Do they ever talk to you about that?
1: You know, my, my my mom and I talk about it a lot. My dad, he died in 2006. But my, my mom and I talk about it, you know, it was in particular when she saw the exhibit that Friday night. Oh,
0: yeah, tell us what she thought about it. Oh,
1: man, it was so heavy because, you know, we went through it really slow. She got there early, which was great. Good. Um, and she just took her time. You know, my mom, she's 76. She's battled cancer many times, you know. She has lymphoma. She's had for brain procedures oh so my just gosh. fighter resilient True fighter yeah man um, we call her the jedi knight um,
0: <laughs> we call my grandma yoda
1: <laughs> yeah there you go there you go um, that's
0: great
1: so you know my mom got to the got through everything and i think the beginning she just slowed down which is what you said you you know you read the statement slow down let the sound take place let the slow wave movement kind of ground you and then go through the exhibit. And when she got to the wall where their portraits are, and she just put her hand up, I remember, and, you know, she, cause she was touching it, thinking that's, that's my dad's photo next to her. And she just, that, that part, that just got me. Oh my uh, gosh. Yeah. Here come the tears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That got me. And I, and I said, you know, I, and I thanked her. I thanked her every moment through that whole exhibit because, you know, their story, our, our connection, our, are part of being in Omaha as well uh, for a family. I mean, I love being here. I love that our kids were raised here. Uh, my, my cousins moved here. But it's there's still that part I don't love. I don't love the fact that we don't have any of our language history. We have, you know, we now we don't even have my mom's restaurants. She's, she, those are gone now too. Just That's more on her retiring. but <laughs> <laughs> no. So I go to her kitchen. But yeah. Um, you know, and and I think I, I she just said the whole time it was worth it, the sacrifices were worth it, and I and I think that dropped my kids that night. You know, Miles and Evie were like, "What?" You know, and you know, Lori, Lori my wife, and she's an artist here. Um, she she as well. We just kind of just huddled in and, and just wanted to ex- explore that process together of my mom taking a journey back one that definitely probably has scars but you know one that also will bring her happiness that you know her son's here his my work was out etc you
0: know i know i can't imagine the the immense pride she held for you walking through that
1: yeah it it was nice it was a nice moment
0: and to be able to process that with the people who went through it i think is just so important i always try and talk to my lola who's an immigrant from the Philippines on what that was like for her and reprocessing and understanding what she was feeling at that time. Because, I mean, ancestral trauma is real and we're so privileged enough to still have them around to be able to talk through that and kind of feel together.
1: Yeah, and you, you know, if you've been fortunate to go to your homeland, to go visit people, to go see everyone that looks like you, to blend in, that is amazing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it's fun for us because there's three of us, and then there's Lori, this blonde, beautiful woman who, <laughs> you know, everyone's looking at her, but it's really fun for us in a different way because we just kind of just be able to, where no one's paying attention to us. That's
0: how it was for some people in my family when we went back. My brother is maybe six three. And my mom is 5'10", and the rest of us are all a little shorter. And so those two stuck out, but yeah. the rest of us were kind of a little bit more incognito. Yeah, But people were like, oh, they're really tall. Right.
1: <laughs> it, well, this is interesting because Miles and I are dark. Mm. Where my mom's family where we really consider us being as Chiang Mai. And Chiang Mai people are light when you say you're from Chiang Mai, they look at Miles and they're like, no, you're not. You're from the (laughs) South. And they're like, whatever, you know. So it's very interesting how Thai people are about this as well. But it's like, okay. Because Evie is very fair. But yeah, you know, uh, Miles and I are dark.
0: If you're just joining us, I'm talking with artist Charles K. Jr. His multimedia, multi-sensory installation, Unseen, is on display at Kineco through February 5th. Join the conversation on social media. Follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089 for a chance to be featured on an upcoming show. Let's go back to kind of just growing up in Omaha and raising your family here as well. Um, how did you navigate being a brown kid in predominantly white spaces, and how did you prepare your children to experience that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I say this on the wall. You know, I really did. I, I tried to fit in. I really just kept my head down. I tried to be unnoticed. I just tried to be part of i mean at this time where I grew up, Northwest Omaha, just white working class that's what I tried to just be part of mm-hmm. um you know we stop we stopped speaking Thai in our house um at least my sisters and I no longer learn Thai we only spoke English.
0: Was that your decision or was it your parents stopped speaking it to you?
1: They just stopped. I can remember still, you know, my aunt who lived with us all our lives as well, Nita, um, and she still was with my mom. We had this blue table, like a child's table that was small, you know, with those little chairs. Mm-hmm. And it was that Tiffany blue color with white writing with the alphabet and characters on it. All, I wish, I mean, I wish we never got rid of that. It was such a cool piece. And I remember that, and, and that's where we would learn. But just that moment in, you know, pre-elementary, they just were like, no more, no more. Yeah. And, yeah. It, and it wasn't to keep secrets. I think it was to keep us safe.
0: I think that's what my Lola's plan was, too. And so they spoke Tagalog and Ilocano, and that's the two kind of, I mean, in the Philippines, there's lots of tribes, so there's lots of dialects mm-hmm. left over and she just didn't, when they came to America, didn't even start speaking those languages to my dad and his brother because they didn't want them to get made fun of. Yeah. So, the, yeah, that safety aspect.
1: That and, you know, you think about it. And kids still do it today. For some reason, they just make up some Asian-sounding language and they look at you, they grab their eyes, they pull them up, and they say stuff. And that's how growing up was. I mean, and so we, we really stopped being Thai I mean in all essences we they wanted to make us Americans. That was the idea. That's why they were here in this country. But you know, I, I tell them when I so then what, I tried to be someone else on the outside, you know, and I I and I even wanted to be white. You know, when I hear people say that, I understand it. Because I I wanted that light skin, blonde hair, blue eyes. Wanted to be able to feather my hair back then. <laughs> That's what I was like. <laughs> I just wanted that. I wanted that because even though I spoke English, I had no accent, because I looked different, I got treated differently. And no matter what I could do, I wasn't going to change that.
0: Changing all the parts that you could control to no longer even recognize yourself.
1: I mean, down to those Nikes that you kept that white shoe paint out to keep them clean. (laughs) We tried everything. My parents worked so hard, I'm sure, to buy that one pair of shoes. Oh, yeah. You know.
0: I know. My thing was growing up, I will tell people I thought I was adopted because the only other Asian kids that I knew were all adopted. They were all Asian girls. And so... I'd be like, Mom, I'm adopted. Adopted. I know. I know that you don't have to lie to me anymore, and she'd be like, Here's the photo of when I had you at the hospital, and I'm like, Photoshop. <laughs> not, not that I knew what that was, but didn't believe it.
1: Yeah, well, well because I was so dark in our family, uh, amongst oh yeah. all of us. My dad used to always make that joke that you know, we found we found you, and it was like uh, his funny humor. He yes. was not. I mean. My dad, his humor was so funny and so dark, but it was just like... I feel that. Yeah, it was that time. It was, you know, um, definitely would be inappropriate today.
0: (laughs) But it's almost like humor as a shield or a a way of kind of coping with what is the truth.
1: Yeah, I mean, and we love to tease each other in our family. We we really did. That was kind of the ribbing was sort of the fun part of it, Uh you know, because you just laugh about it.
0: Yes. (laughs) Um, That's great. So in your exhibit, you identify as a first-generation Thai American, but that it's taken you five decades to claim that identity. What were some of the challenges there?
1: You know, even I was saying even my closest friends. So I had friends that came in from L.A. and Minneapolis um, for the show. And I've known these people for 30 years. Mm -hmm. Um, And my best friend, Doug, was like, hey, uh, I'm embarrassed to say I never saw you as a person of color, as different, I just saw you as Charles, my brother, and you know, I that I don't know. I, is it a compliment? I don't know. I you know, know. I it's feel so that hard, too. even though you love these people. You, you have relationships in particular here, right? Like people are like, oh, I never thought of you as anything, and it's like, wow. But you know, that's that's part of it. Um, and I think I say either I've done a really great job of assimilating or I done an even better job of fooling myself.
0: That was a hard part for me to recognize too a few years back was I, I would get that comment of, well, I just see you as this. I don't see you as brown. And I'm like, but that's to me erasing my experience as a brown complex person.
1: Right, That's a, that has all these other stigmas attached to it. You know, Evie talks about this all the time, like being an Asian woman, Yes. It's very different. You have the white gaze. You have all these other things happening, and it's it's uncomfortable, you know. And mm-hmm. it's and it's I don't know. I mean, actually, even because we have mixed race children, they identify really as being Thai. They they do, and I and I find that so interesting because, you know, at that college time way back when I mean in some cases maybe had they just write they're 50-50 they could have written white on their applications what would have made the difference really
0: that's exactly what my my siblings and I do too we rep, we, we say we're Filipino because that's what we present as and I've just kind of started to get back into you know my white his, history of my family side but I know that kind of hurt my mom for a while She, it, I'm sure it felt like we weren't appreciating her family as much.
1: And I don't think we're leaving that. I don't think Miles and Evie's intention was to leave Lori's side Oh, absolutely By not. any means. But I think what they were representing is this is what I look like on the outside. Yes. You know, Miles in particular, he's tall, he's dark, he looks like, I would say he's the stunt version of me. I used to say he's mini <laughs> me, but he's my stunt double, just the bigger, stronger, more handsome version. <laughs> um, but they're so proud of their ancestry. They're so proud of their family history. But I think they fought for it a little bit more than I did. I know they did, actually. I can tell you that. You know, I was embarrassed. I was embarrassed as a kid that my parents had these thick accents, that our kitchen smelled different, that we had this lazy Susan in the center of our table with all the spices on it, you know. <laughs> with, and it was like some stuff that, you know, people would not know what those things were back then. Pepper was a spice to most people, which is, we were like, okay. Um,
0: <laughs> That's the extent of the spice cabinet. Yeah, I
1: mean, it just for our kids and being able to bring that connection we we Miles wrote a story when he was in elementary school about wanting to go to Thailand see where his family's from and ride an elephant
0: I love it yeah
1: so my dad died in 2006 my Miles wrote that essay and I still we still have it on a wall at home it just one of those things so we were like okay we're going to take my dad my portion of my dad back And we're going to take my mom and my aunt and and we're going to take a big journey. And we were going to be gone for some time and we're going to go visit our family. So that's what we did. And we did find a place in the south of Thailand where they had a resident baby elephant. Ra-ra. Ra-ra. And Miles was able, all of us were, but you could go in the ocean, you'd swim with it, you'd take care of it, you'd bathe it, you'd wash it, you'd feed it until you have to leave. It was so special to have that moment, to have... My mom and aunt with Lori, myself, and the kids, and just be in Thailand. And for them to see people that all look like them, that was the first time. Like, first time. They've been to a lot of cities, but never like this. It was really special. So we did that a few times. We've done that three times with them. And Lori and I have been a couple of extra times to Thailand for work. But and it, with this darn pandemic, we haven't been able to be back in a while. So we're trying. Trying to go back.
0: Yeah, that was on my goals. And then the pandemic hit to go back because my family went over there, I think, when I was in college. And I hadn't yet discovered my passion for connecting back to my roots when we went over there. I was like, I'm so excited to see family. I'm excited to eat food. And I'm excited to, like, go on vacation. Right. And I didn't have that awareness or want to connect back to the history of where my people are from. And now that I have that, I'm like, okay, I want to go back. And my little brother, he is planning to go this summer. He's like, I'm going to Thailand and I'm going to the Philippines. And he's like, I'm so excited to just be back there with the knowledge I have. Him and I love to get into the history and love to talk about it. And so I'm like, oh man, I really want to go with you.
1: But also I'm wondering, because one of the things that was the spark with this was what happened during the pandemic where the emotions went, where the hate was focused and being Asian, that process. And I I tell people, you know, Vicha getting pushed to his death, 84 year old Thai man. Oh my goodness, that lit me up like no other thing. It's like innocent daytime. Like, really? That's the part to me that I can't wait to go back because I want to just give those big hugs to people and say, yeah, don't, no hate, just love here.
0: That really hit me too. And I would just, at the time I was living with my parents and my Lola lives with them as well. And I just sit in her room and she'd be just say, "Like I don't understand. I, d- I don't, I do not understand what's happening. And it just kind of broke my heart. I mean, she can see racism. And I mean, over the pandemic was the first time her and I talked about racism and her experiences with it
1: probably because the news i mean we would be sitting in a surf break cuz we spent a lot of time in california during this the kids were in school and in college and we would just want we weren't working we would just go out there and hang out with them but there were sections of, of southern california where you're paddling out in the break and you can just feel it it's just not cool vibe and we were like man Mm, Yeah, Yeah. we need to get out of this section and move a little bit further south. It just was not. And that sucked. I mean, that really did. That is painful. Uh, And it's weird to jump into protective mode like that. I just, I Mm -hmm. mean, I don't know. It's just one of those things. And I think Lori was our protector, really. You know, she would just say like, "Okay," all five foot two of her. Um, yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> Powerful presence. Though. Yeah, but she just, you know, Miles came home from a walk and he was just like, "God, I just felt this." I got yelled at. I got things, and Lori was just like, "You know, like, okay, I'm going out there."
0: I remember my Lola story, one of hers of racism was she was a teacher as well. She taught English, which I always thought that was so cool that her she taught her second language right. in America. That's incredible to me. But she had a student pulled from her class because the student thought my Lola's accent was too thick. And so she got called into the principal's office to be told. And I was like, how'd that make you feel? And she's like, I'm sad, but I can't change that. I can't change the way her parents thought of me or that I was going to be a bad teacher because of that. And I'm like, see, if that happened to me, I'd just be so mad. (laughs) I would be so mad. Yeah. But somehow she and my grandfather just handled it all with grace because they had to it well, was their job
1: right and what else would they do exactly right i mean they're not going to raise the flag against the kid who can't understand accents just one of those things yep um, yep
0: so i am grateful that now you and i and hopefully the future of I just
1: people just see people yeah i mean the whole idea of any country like that is built on a melting pot that's built on this process just let us blend
0: Speaking of the blending pot, the mixing pot, uh, oftentimes people don't really care where my family's from. Like you said, they'll just kind of pull their eyes up, make jokes about eating dog um, and just really group us all together um, and see us as a monolith. I'm curious if that was the same for you growing up, especially like you mentioned dur- during your exhibit uh, during the Vietnam War.
1: Yeah, I mean, that. This part, yeah, I mean, this part always drives me nuts. It makes me crazy about the process of just that group. I'm <laughs> just thinking, I don't know, maybe Europeans have that happen to them. If you're from Africa, you're just grouped. But it's just, not, I don't know. I just don't get it. I, I don't like that. Everyone has such differences. I mean, I think the Japanese people have very different processes. as The Chinese were couldn't be more different, realistically. Mm-hmm. Uh, even geographically, when you think about how everyone spread out and back when it was like pacific islander we didn't have asian even on their Pacific islander and i'm like you well, thailand is really not an island <laughs> i mean there are islands but it's not you know and so and i think we can do better than that i think that we we should want to enlighten ourselves as we should want to be educated we should want to know those things you know back when you used to have uh like cultural day <laughs> yes <laughs> like bring the culture daily Yearly, weekly, not just a day. I, I've said you—you you know when you're when you're aging, you're going to get called names growing up. Yes. Um, the mock language you and I talked about—it—it's um, hard. It, it, I think it, in the '70s, in particular, where I was, it made me scrappy. You got in a lot of fights. I mean, you did. Um, it was just one of those things. It was—I just couldn't take it at points. It just there was a point, and. You just did what you did, and it was scrappy. A lot of fat lips and, yeah. you know, just not, yeah.
0: I'm talking with artist Charles K. Jr. about the Asian-American experience and his multimedia exhibition, Unseen, emerging from the currents of assimilation, on display at Coneco through February 5th. Stay tuned for the rest of our conversation after this break. Welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Maria Corpus. You can subscribe and hear previous episodes of this show on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite app is. I'm talking with visual artist Charles K. Jr., whose work Unseen is on display at Coneco through February 5th. Here is the rest of our conversation. Let's talk about assimilation because that is a pretty big theme throughout your exhibit. And it it seems like for your parents, my Lola, that it was an act of survival. So being born to immigrant parents, we have the opportunity to say, you know, where did our culture go and how do we get back there to res- rediscover the roots of our culture? Um, how have you done that? How have you gone back to your Thai culture and rediscovered it for yourself?
1: Well, I mean, I, it, and I think this exhibit is a public statement. It's my public statement to say I understand the process that my parents and my sisters and I went through to feel like we could fit in that assimilation. I could never be ungrateful to my parents for the sacrifices they made. Because imagine as a kid, if you're getting that, but imagine in the workforce where there's a different type of power. It's not some kid that you can punch in the nose. It is your boss. It is your coworker. I am sure because my parents worked four jobs. I mean, they worked all the time. I remember they they were teachers. My dad was a vice principal at a point. They would also clean office buildings at night. Wow. Um they also on weekends would work at the Red Lion Hotel downtown.
0: Oh my gosh. My dad
1: is a waiter, my mom is a co check person. They worked all these jobs. They did all these things to give us a better life. And no matter what I would have thought my childhood was so bad, I knew they had to have it a hundred times worse now as an adult. Now then I didn't think that. I didn't I didn't understand it. But um yeah, no, now, now yeah, I can't. I can't ever not say thank you yeah. enough to my parents. The
0: gratitude definitely gets deeper the more you realize the time and place that our older generations came to America in. Like my, like I said, Lola was a teacher, and her husband Lolo uh, or Ray Raymundo, he was a psychiatrist. Hmm. And I've been reading more Filipino authors, and one of the authors notes that her mom was a psychiatrist and had a really heavy. Um, accent and got made fun of and I just um, obviously immediately connected to my Lolo, who I never got to meet but just I I always I, I always try to ask Lola did did you and Lolo talk about racism? And her response is no like we just kind of kept it to ourselves
1: yeah, I mean I don't I don't know if it was just the un undiscussed undisclosed portion and then they just wanted you not to complain. they just wanted you to fit in. And I think with that assimilation, when I talk about the parallels at the beginning of this, you couldn't pick a topic really of assimilation without thinking of how many other people really feel that they don't fit into culture norms, that they don't they don't feel like they're a fully respected part of society. Um, and I think that's where I'm taking one part and I'm connecting something that I didn't know on a bigger level for other people. Beyond just an immigrant story, you know, and and that part to me, that was something that was unexpected, but very welcomed. I I really um, I'm so glad people come up to me or they'll send me a message in social media um, or email me. I just that that is touching.
0: I want to talk about pride in immigrants. We kind of touched on that earlier, but you mentioned that your parents never complained and my mine didn't either, and neither did my grandparents. Um, like you said, they just kept their heads down, worked hard and harder, and really tried to succeed. Um, for the Filipino culture, uh, there's so much weight on education and making your family proud in that way. And it's hard to find a balance of being proud to have made it in America, while at the same time being proud of your ancestry and culture that was left behind. Um, what was that experience like for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, the that is the thing. I mean, when you think about the stereotypical parts of Asian culture, when that monolith or when that grouping does happen, it is the work hard. It is the don't raise your voice. For In particular, really, actually more for Asian men. I think my son was saying this, like, potentially Asian men may be passed over more for higher roles or promotions because they're seen as being too passive. Whereas Asian women will not be seen as passive. Go Evie. Go Maria. But, But But it's that stereotypical. You don't want to be part of that tiger female role either necessarily. Like just expect that out of the gate, you know. But that work hard, I mean literally grades, grades, grades. And you know, Lori would say Charles's Tiger Dad because actually as an artist, you know, working for ourselves, I fully understand the pressures of, oh my gosh, are we going to be able to do this? Are we going to be able to do these things? Are we going to be able to provide for our kids? So our thing was, you know, if they're smart. So do something with these, this opportunity, um, And I think that's probably a challenge for both of our kids even thinking about that portion because, yeah, they can use it. They can do those things, but it's what sustains them inside. Mm -hmm. And listen, Evie's an incredible artist. Miles is an incredible artist. They have a different technique of work that they are very good at outside of their engineering fields. So in my case, maybe I was lucky that my dad was a photographer. So that expectation of... Becoming your stereotypical, you know, dentist, doctor,
0: something else. <laughs> my dad's <Yeah>. a dentist. <laughs> yeah,
1: see, so, um, you know, and some of my, one of my friends in San Francisco, uh, Quack is his name, he's Vietnamese, and his mom still thinks he's not successful because he's not one, and his brother de- brother-in-law's a dentist, so it's like, oh, okay, that oh, one's yeah. a successful yep. person, but Quack does really well. But it's one of those things that we joke about because of that, I don't know what the name thing, the pride. Th- I don't know. Having that occupation be the, uh, I don't know, the the topic of
0: what, what is success. What, yeah, What is success? Yeah, right? I was I'm really glad because my dad, uh, my Lola would just keep asking me, when are you going to go back to school after I had already graduated college? And I'm like, I don't even know what I would want to go back to school for. Um, but I'm really glad because my dad said something to me, and in front of my whole entire family. And I remember this. I'm not sure if he would, but he said, "You know, Mer- I'm still proud of you, no matter what you do. I know Lola puts a lot of pressure on you, but just so you know, with me, we're good. Whatever you want to do, I'm proud of you." And that meant so much to me.
1: Yeah, I, I think as parents, though, I mean, and I, I send my kids, our kids, a text every day, separate of our group family chat, yeah. separate just to them, because I, I don't. If nothing else, we've learned how fleeting a moment can be, mm-hmm. how quick things can be taken from you. I never want them ever to think that I'm not proud of them. I never want them ever to think that I am overwhelmed with all the things they've been able to accomplish and what they've done. So.
0: So let's talk about the, the colors of black and white in your exhibit. Um, Libyan as an immigrant or even as a mixed race person, we know that there are complexities to existing in America and it's not always black and white. And so I want to talk about why those colors were so essential for your exhibit.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that big part of it was I wanted that high contrast in particular as you enter the exhibit, the instead of seeing that blue ocean with that warm light, I didn't that was never part of the equation in my mind. Um, I wanted that contrast. I wanted you to understand that part of the assimilation, part of the process is getting past the idea of just black and white. But if I throw that at you and let you realize that those shades in between the two, that, that, that level of colors at that section in the middle, that's where the beauty exists. That's where the life exists. That's where things can be, growing, present, creative. And that was a big part of it. Taking Gallery 6 Black, again, thank you, Kaneko. <laughs> <laughs> really honestly was a big part because I wanted that darkness so that you could see the light. You could see all the other parts in between. You had to adjust, which yes. is part of the idea, right? So I don't know. I mean, I think that I think that the entry can be disorienting, and maybe mm-hmm. it should be. Right. Mm -hmm. Maybe it should be. But once you're in and you get the flow and the sound starts to give you some calmness, like you said, you entered there's some calmness. But then there's these questions that arise that should happen. Right. So I knew that the idea in my mind was those dark areas or those spaces in between. That's where a lot of people in society inhabit. That's that fringe. That's that small pocket which I really think is a large pocket.
0: Yeah, it's a large pocket. (laughs) Where
1: where people just are overlooked or unseen.
0: Let's get into the waves. There's so many waves here that you can feel in touch, that you can look at, that you can see roll over your feet, um, on the walls, they're kind of everywhere. And so you mentioned it kind of being a metaphor for peeling back time and allowing the areas beneath the surface to be unseen. What do you want folks to see that is oftentimes overlooked?
1: You know, I, I just think I want them to understand and, or think about what it would be like not to have to be so absorbed in race, in hate, in displeasure of something different. I don't know how else to say it. That's just how it feels. Um, how someone's eyes shape, how their voices sound, any of those things can be at negative it just doesn't that's the part i don't know i mean and so for me being having the exhibit be accessible so yeah there's waves there's also 3d forms of those images on you know the pedestals that you'll see um i wanted to create a method for everyone to attach themselves to a part of the exhibit
0: if you're just joining us i'm talking with artist charles k jr his multimedia, multi-sensory installation, Unseen, is on display at Coneco through February 5th. Join the conversation on social media, follow Riverside Chats on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Or you can call in with a brief voicemail to 402-881-0089 for a chance to be featured on an upcoming show. Let's talk about that wall, since we're talking about uh, the different ways you can interact, but you ask people to physically interact by, at the end of the exhibit, um, writing what makes them feel seen. Let's talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I I, knew that the exhibit, and once you get to that section and you get through it and you see the back wall writing of and how the wall gets lit by the, you know, the light. Thank you, Jason, for helping me with that. <laughs> um, but how, when you get to the part about my parents and the name erasure, that part of it. Is heavy for for people, and they start absorbing a lot more. I think you and and uh, your friend were pretty moved throughout, but I think once you get to that spot, you're like, "Oh my goodness!" Because telling me about your, same, your, <laughs> yeah, your was it your grandfather's name that was changed? Um, said, my dad's Your dad's right. Yeah. So, I wanted that wall to be something different, and asking a question that was a positive. Question. I mean, you know, you don't expect these four foot by 10 foot rusted steel walls to give you something, but I tell people, close your eyes, walk to the center of the wall, put your hands in the middle of the wall. You're going to feel something that you're not expecting. Ask the question, what makes you feel seen? Wait for it to come to you. Let it come to you naturally. Let it try to get to you. Say it inside and say it out loud, then write it down, write it on the wall, paint it on the wall with that brush. I can't tell you how hard that is for people.
0: Oh, yeah. When we were at the meditation on Sunday, uh, I was talking to my boyfriend afterwards, Jeff, what he thought. And he's like, you know, that, that question really screwed me up. And he was, I asked him later later in the day, I'm like, how are you feeling about the question? He's like, I don't know. I, he's like, I've been thinking about it all day. And I think even just the process of thinking thinking about that question even if an answer isn't provided is still movement within self to grapple with how you show up in this world
1: yeah I mean it, it and I'm and I'm in a way I'm glad Jeff is challenged by the question because I think we should be we should be beyond being that superficial part what you want what you what makes you feel seen what part of you do you want people to know and I think it's an intimate part it's something that's very powerful and it can mean something different to all parts i wrote a different version for kids ages you know 3 to 12 um and that the instructions are close your eyes and imagine yourself as a superhero right draw that superhero on the wall and i tell people the one thing at the end that i really want people to know is i see you and i and i see i want to see them and so i get and i, I think they're adding they, i already get a lot of uh dms or messages but I love when I get those. And I love when I get to see what people want to tell me. And I saw people that will say, I don't know. I don't know. I am I, thinking about this as week four. And I'm like, I see you. Come on. Come back. Yeah. Try again. C-
0: try it. Come try again. It's yeah. OK. Spend more time in yeah. the space. Because it is inviting. I wanted to spend so much time in there.
1: Yeah. I mean, in the whole, really, think about it. Kineco's monumental exhibition. You have four artists of color. Maybe one of the first times ever in a museum in Nebraska that that's ever occurred. For artists of color. It's awesome to be part of that. And it's awesome to be part of a collaborative space that encourages you to either succeed or fail. Figure it out. There's nothing wrong with making a mistake in art, right?
0: Okay, I want to go back to the changing of names. So my father's name is Raphael. Uh, but they the nuns at the school he was at thought that'd be too hard for people to say. So now he's Ralph. And I'm like, oh my God, but the beauty of Raphael and losing that. And that's a first name, but it doesn't matter what part of your name has changed. It's it's changed. And he really lost the beauty in that. And in a sense, the culture that he came from. And names really do express identity and they bring a story with them. I, I joke about, I've always been raised to say my last name is Corpus. Hmm. And then I learned that that's the American way to say it. And so I, I go back and forth between saying Corpus or Corpus. It was my brother actually, he used to live out in Washington, so like you mentioned, a, a, a bit more diverse than Nebraska. And he met some some girl who was like, "You're saying your name wrong. Like I, my best friends have your same last name, and they would be upset if somebody said it that way to them. Right. And so I was like, oh man, like I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try and get this right and, and say it more, but because I've lived my entire life saying Corpus, sometimes it still comes out that way.
1: Well, th- so this is interesting about our name being changed, right? If yeah. I'm physically present and someone is asking me to spell my name, Charles K, I'm like K A Y, and they look at me for more. <laughs> I'm like,
0: like, you're like K. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I just, that part is like, all right. But yeah, you know, I mean, does anyone call your dad Raphael in the house?
0: Um, my grandma does. I started calling him it. And we'll actually hit her, her nickname, Lola's nickname for my dad is Raffi. Yeah. And so any of her, her car, we, uh, our family tradition for birthdays is writing handwritten cards and we, we make our own art on the front and then we write, hand write the letters and she always says, dear Rafi. And yeah. so that's what she calls him.
1: See, and I think that it's a bummer when people around him could never call him that because he could have had a lot of fun nicknames with his friends even, right? His, yeah. Uh, you know, you grew up here, right? There.
0: I did, but he grew up in Galesburg, Illinois. So small town.
1: Right. But he could have been the first Rafa, you know. So,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, but it it's a bummer. I think that name thing, you know, my mom's name is so pretty, Prakai. I love that. Oh, that's a- beautiful. In Thai, Thailand, everyone has a nickname.
0: Uh-huh. Same in the Philippines.
1: Right. So, you know, I don't know most of my cousin's real names. I know their nicknames. <laughs> I mean, I have Mickey yep. Mouse. I have Donut, who's my cousin Look alike. <laughs> I mean, it, everyone has a nickname but I don't know their real names.
0: That's so I actually
1: interesting. don't. So Yeah,
0: it got confusing for me. We had a Filipino American family reunion at our house this past summer and to have all the aunties come in, I was like, wait, but I thought her name was this. And they're like, well, it is, but she goes by both. And I'm like, so I was like, well, do I have five or six aunties or three? <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, it, it'd be different if as a family, you change someone's name as a as a loving way of having a nickname, but for instance, when Raphael gets changed because a nun doesn't want to say that? Or if it was he left-handed?
0: Um, No.
1: See, I'm left-handed. Yeah. I go to Catholic school for two years here, and I'll tell you what.
0: They changed it.
1: They tried. It's weird, in particular, institutionally when that happens. You know, it's like Ellis Island. People have that story. I've oh, heard, yeah. I've heard that so many times when I've been present in in the space at Coneco when someone says, this happened to me. And name erasure is a real thing. And I think, like... Even working with like um, the group Reimagine Migration, and they talk about this in schools, or do they do programming in Omaha public schools? And they're a Baltimore group about don't you know learn how to say the person's name because it gives them their dignity. It gives them that you accept them you're not just saying some name. you
0: know. Yes. And now I work with a lot of optometrists and there's a lot of Asian optometrists across the country. And so I always make sure, like, can you just say that again for me so I can remember and and pronounce it right? And do you prefer, I see you have two names. Which name do you want me to address you by?
1: Yeah. And I think that's a good way to greet people, really. If you have a name, look at a name that you don't know, it's better to say, could you please pronounce your name for me? I want to respectfully be able to call you by the name and yes. not and not make a mistake not yeah. not insult you not not create some odd tension because I couldn't pronounce it so it's always good to have I think that's a great way to be yeah. you should be that way
0: I know I've experienced it I've seen other people experience it and I just want to like fr- from the start let me just hear it
1: Let's just do it yeah Yeah right
0: So let's go back to the exhibit being called Unseen we touched on it a little bit how did you learn to feel seen again
1: Wow. You know, I, I don't know. I, I think it's probably a lot of it was the work. The, I've always created imagery, but a lot of times people would never even connect the dots, right? So owning yourself, owning your history, owning your culture is one way um, that I find that I'm being seen. Um, and I think that understanding also that what I'm saying is does matter and is being heard. So it's being seen and heard. I think there's a couple parts to that because most of my life, I feel like I've been unseen and it's just the way it was growing up. And I understood that sacrifice. I understand it more now being a parent of two great kids. And, you know, I understand that a lot more of why they did what they did. Um, I just, I hope, gosh, where are we? 2022. Come on. Yeah. We can do better.
0: It's time to be seen again.
1: It's time to see everyone. Yeah. You know, to see everyone. And I think that's the part. It's not just about your skin color. It's just not about all those things either. I want to see all people. I want to see all all humans as they want to be seen.
0: One last question for you. I wanna know what have been some responses from folks. I know we kinda touched on that, but I would love to hear some of the, I almost want you to make a zine out of all the responses (laughs) to your exhibit.
1: Yeah, you know, Jack's at the Kineco has asked, are you doing a diary? Are you writing stuff? And I have it in my brain, but yeah, you know, actually my, if you look at my messages on Instagram, usually the private DMs are a lot of those stories. Um, You It just happened this last weekend during the meditation. One man just stood in the middle and um Rick is his first name and he's this handsome, tall, very athletic male, and he just started crying. He had just said his connection to this was about a relationship, about something he had just talked to someone in his family about and how it just meant so much to him. So those are the type of moments that I embrace and I and I know, like I say, I know it's, it's not a light exhibit. It's not one. It's dark, right? But it's dark in a different way. But it's not a light exhibit, meaning there's a different type of happiness or feeling that you'll get from it. Mm-hmm. But you're going to go through something that is going to make you explore your history or explore where you are presently. Um, so from people telling me their stories, I mean, I had one woman the night of Soiree that came up and she grabbed my arm. It was at the end and I was more worried about closing it down <laughs> sure things were OK on the yeah. walls. And she said, um, I'm an immigrant. I'm from Eastern Europe. I experienced I res- your story resonates with me, but she grabbed my arm and she said, But I have a disabled son and this story can help him. And that pretty much dropped me. I was with one of my best friends, Rod, oh, and I was wow. like, I looked at Rod and he looks at me and he's I'm just like, Oh my goodness. I mean, like I please bring him here. I will meet him here. I see him. I want want to be able that's what's great about having the touch feature having the wall having that calmness in the space too with the sound and and the other parts you know those are the parts to me and I had a woman in from Canada who told me her parents were Jewish her grandparents they could not go to med school in Canada so they went to Louisiana to go to med school Wow! changed their names
0: Mm -hmm. she said I knew
1: my grandmother as Barbara that's not her real name she changed it so that she could get be be educated to help people and then they did go back to canada but that just seemed so strange they had to erase that part of themselves to be able to do what they wanted to do so those stories i mean from that to you know younger people coming to me and telling me hey i I don't fit fit into gender norms. I don't fit into this part of society. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm that fringe. I'm that part that's I feel outcast. So, thank you. And, I, and that, I mean that to me that means a lot, that means almost more realistically because how hard was it for that person to come tell me some part of that? You know, here I am, this fifty two year old <laughs> Thai guy. You know, but I I've always thought Thai people, Thailand's the land of smiles, and I think Aww. that. It's uh, if I could greet them with warmth, hence the writing wall, if I could greet them with that part of it, then I feel good. I don't want to carry your pain, but I want to help you feel some warmth, maybe take a little bit off of you if I could. So,
0: That's so beautiful. Thank you. So tell me where people can connect with you, learn more about you and the details of your exhibit.
1: Yeah, so I have a website, charleskjr.com. Um, Instagram is at junior. And then the exhibit, the Caneco.org website. Uh, the show is up currently until February 5th. Like I said, hopefully it's extended. It's a great show. As I said, it's four artists of color on two floors with very different techniques. And everyone there, I mean, talk about unseen Richard Hunt. My yes. goodness. 86, 87 years old. It's Most spectacular. public installations of any artist in America. Incredible. And who knows his name?
0: Yeah. Seriously. Right. seen baby.
1: Let him seen. Yeah, let him be seen.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you. Riverside Chats is a production of 91.5 KIOS Omaha Public Radio. The show is produced and edited by Courtney Bierman. Our original music is written and performed by The Real Zebos. Our artwork is done by Ben Matukowitz. Remember, you can find the backlog of Riverside Chats episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Maria Corpus.